appreciate that. We're glad that you're here. We know that many of you have relatives who are uh, about to graduate or graduating from high school, and so uh, we're having our uh, reception tonight, so we thank you for being here. We'll do that in just a little while, but tonight we're going to be looking at some things from the Word of God. If you are a guest with us tonight, what we've been doing here at Midway this year, our theme for the year is the greatest questions ever asked. And on Sunday morning, we've been looking at uh, questions that are written in the Bible. Some of the ones that Jesus asked, some of the ones that others asked throughout the Bible. And we've been seeking to study them and to answer them and, of course, to learn the lessons that we can learn from them. And then on Sunday night, what we've been doing is looking at various questions that have been asked by brothers and sisters in Christ and others throughout the world. And so that's what we're continuing tonight. That's what we'll be doing tonight. And you'll see on the screen the question that we'll be addressing. But as we begin tonight, let me just simply say that there are some Bible stories in the Old Testament that stand out. They're famous. You know, everybody has heard at least a part of them. For example... Somebody or most everybody have heard about the, the flood and, and Noah and him building the ark and all of the things that are related to that. And, and many people, most people, probably have heard about David and Goliath, have they not? Uh, they know about the story of the giant and the little boy, the young man, and how he slew the, the nine-foot-tall giant. And, of course, that is one of the, the famous stories out of the Old Testament. A third famous story out of the Old Testament has to do with the walls of Jericho and how the children of Israel marched around in the, um, in the manner that God told them to do. And, and finally, after they had followed God's orders, His commands, the walls of Jericho fell down flat. It's in that story tonight that we want to look and find an answer to some questions, or at least it raises a question in the mind of some that we want to address tonight. And so you may want to keep up with us out of the book of Joshua for just a little bit, and then we'll look at some other passages. But I want you to focus for just a moment on Joshua chapter 6 at verse number 17. The Bible says in Joshua 6 verse 17, "...and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house..." shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Out of everything in the city, out of all the people in the city of Jericho, when those walls fell down flat, there was one woman and her family, the people who were in her home, that were saved on that occasion. And the Bible identifies her as Rahab the harlot. Now, now what brought about this salvation, if you will, of this woman uh, being saved from the destruction that went on on that day in the killing of all of these people who were there, what was it that, that set her apart from the rest that caused her to have God's salvation from, from that destruction? Well, if we go back to the book of Joshua, chapter number 2, of course, we'll find uh, the background to why she was saved. And if you read from Joshua chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 down through verse 14, you'll find the entire story. We won't take time tonight to read the entire story, but I want us to focus tonight on verses 3 through 5 for just a moment. The Bible says, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 2, Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out 
all the land. You may remember that Joshua had sent in the spies to spy out the land so that they would be able to know what to do as they were uh, uh, conquering the land. And so he had sent them there. And they evidently had been observed as they entered in. They, of course, evidently had watchmen who were watching over the city, but they saw these strange men, and evidently they had intelligence. In other words, they had somebody who had been spying, as you will, on on the children of Israel, and they knew that these men had come, and they knew that they had gone to Rahab's house in order to, to stay. And so the king sends these messengers to Rahab, and said, all right, let us have them, hand them over. Verse 4 says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. It's from this section of the book of Joshua, chapter 2, that our question comes tonight. Did God tell Rahab to lie? Obviously, the spies who came in to spy out Jericho were from God's people. Obviously, Joshua had sent them to spy out the land. And obviously, as we'll see tonight, Rahab told a lie. Now, did God tell her or cause her to lie? You know, a lot of people want to know the answer to that, and a lot of people believe that God told her to lie so that they can justify some of these little white lies, some of these little fibs that they like to tell. And so if they can find somebody in the Bible who is justified in lying, then maybe that makes them okay. And so, tonight, we need, to, we need to look at it, we need to ask the question, we need to think about it in, in detail. Now, as we begin to consider this question, let me simply ask you this, does the Bible have anything to say about lying? Is there anything written in regard to lying? Now, we really shouldn't have to ask that question, should we? We know the answer already, but let's look at two or three verses. Exodus chapter 20 at verse 16 God had said in what we know as His Ten Commandment Law, He said, You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. He tells them not to do that under that Old Testament law. You shall not lie to one another. Uh, Back in the book of Exodus chapter... uh, Let me go back. I'm going too far ahead here. Going the wrong way, Larry. Back me up. Back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so, uh, again, back in that Old Testament Ten Commandment covenant, he told them not to lie. And then in Leviticus 19, verse 11, we saw that he said not to lie to one another. But what about the book of Proverbs? In Proverbs chapter chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, the Bible gives a list of things that the Bible says God hates. Now, now, think about the God of love that we read about in the New Testament, but here it is, we have the wise man by inspiration saying, there's something that God hates. Now, what are the things that God hates? Well, seven of them that he mentions there in that passage, he said six things that the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, watch the next one. A lying 
tongue. And, and we keep going. And hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. Two of the seven things that the Bible says that God hates that are an abomination to Him have to do with lying. Uh, I would say that's probably a pretty bad condemnation of lying and liars, would you not? And so as we look at it, we see that the Bible does have something in the Old Testament to say in regard to lying. What about the New Testament? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth to the people who are around you. And so the Bible then in the New Testament has, has something to say about lying. Colossians chapter 3, at verse number 9, Paul puts it a little plainer. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And then finally, in the book of Revelation 21, at verse number 8, the Bible says the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, uh, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those who lie and do not repent of that and get forgiveness of that, the Bible paints a, a pretty dim picture, if you will, in regard to them. And, and so, as we look at it, one of the conclusions that we can draw is simply this, as one writer put it, just as there are no exceptions to the adultery commandment, there is none for the ninth commandment of not bearing false witness, not lying. Yes, the Bible has something to say about lying and liars. Now, is not Rahab's clear case, uh, uh, is not Rahab a clear case of one who lies and then receives a blessing after her lie? Remember the king came, or his men came, and, and they wanted to know about the men, and, and she said, I, I didn't know where they were from, and, 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 and they left my house, and, and you really need to go, and if you're going to catch up with them, you need to go now and pursue after them. Folks, there's no doubt but that she gets a blessing, is there? After that, there is no doubt that she gets a blessing. Uh, we've already read tonight from the book of Joshua chapter 6 that she and her family were saved when Jericho fell, when the walls fell and the people fell. But not only that, in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, chapter 11 at verse 31, mentions her again. Notice what the writer of the book of Hebrews said, By faith Rahab, same woman, By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Folks, not only did she receive a blessing, notice where her name is recorded. In Hebrews chapter 11, what do we have? Somebody has called it, people have called it, the hall of fame of the faithful. 
You've got Abraham and, and, and others of those faithful of God's people who are mentioned, who are named by name in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. And one of those names that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 is Rahab. And, and so, how would you like to have your name recorded right beside Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these folks? And, 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 you know, not just that somebody happened to write your name down, but that God, by inspiration, instructed the writer to include her. Not only did she receive the blessing, that is, of, uh, of having her family and, and herself saved when Jericho fell, but now God commends her through the writing of His book. Surely she received a blessing after the lie that she told. Now folks, as we think about what we're looking at here on the screen tonight, the, the clear case of receiving a blessing, there's some good brethren even who have tried to justify what Rahab did by saying that she didn't really lie. Oh, really she didn't lie. Uh, she didn't do that. Well, can I be sarcastic for just a minute? Would y'all forgive me for that? If you're trying to argue with me that she didn't really lie, I might say to you, are you not really delusional in this matter? Of course she lied. There's no doubt but that she lied. She hid the men on a roof and then told the king's men they had left. Joshua chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, when in fact they had not left. And she knew exactly where they were because she took them up on the rooftop and she put them underneath the flax stalks that were there to hide them. And so, yes, she lied. Not only that, she told the king's men in Joshua chapter 2 at verse 4, she said, I didn't know where they were from. When they came here, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know where they were from. Well, I beg to say that she did lie in that one as well. She knew that they were had come out of Egypt, according to verse number 10. And she knew that, they, that God had dried up the Red Sea in order for them to pass over, verse number 10. And she knew that the Israelites had defeated the kings, Sion and Og, verse number 10. And not only that, she knew that God had given them the very land in which she lived. Verse number 9, if you'll back up one. Of course she knew where they were from and who they were. Two lies that I've already identified tonight. And so we can't in any way try to justify her by saying that, well, she really didn't lie in the matter. That's to be dishonest. That, that won't fly. Now, the question is, did God tell her to lie? Did God tell Rahab to lie? That's back where we were. You know, that's the question that we're seeking to answer. Now tonight, we've already talked about and noted the sinfulness of lying, have we not? But what about God Himself and lies? What, what, what about that? Well, think about what the Bible says in the book of Titus chapter 1 at verse number 2. In Titus chapter 1 at verse number 2, Paul writes, In hope of eternal life, 
which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Paul said that, that uh, God uh, never lied. Okay? But not only that, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, at verse number 18, we have recorded for us by that writer, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, um, might have strong encouragement, and so forth. Just notice the part out of that passage. It's impossible. God never lies. Why? Because He can't. It is impossible for Him to lie. And so, lying is wrong. We've already noted that from several passages in the, in the Bible. And now we know that God doesn't do it. But what about James chapter 1, verse number 13? In James chapter 1, verse number 13, the Bible simply says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. Now, if lying is evil, lying is sinful, and God doesn't do it Himself, it's impossible for Him to do it. And we're also informed that God does not tempt people to do that which is wrong, to do that which is evil. Then the only conclusion that we can come to tonight is simply this, that God did not have her tell her or even endorse her lying. That's the only logical conclusion that we could, that we could draw. In, in our study. But you know what? As I think about that, I, I want to know more about it. I want to learn greater lessons. I, I want to understand it a little bit better. And, and so, let's consider for just a few minutes some possible solutions regarding Rahab's life. Let's think about it you know, and try to analyze it, how this could be that it came about she was blessed even after her lie. Some may have suggested it this way, that her lie was okay because life is precious. It, it was okay for her in order to save a life, okay? Uh, that's that's, the, that's the, uh, uh, the argument that's made, not only by the, some people who would try to justify Rahab, but even some today in various matters. You know, it's okay to kill a baby in order to save someone else. And so as we look at it, let's analyze this. Indeed, life is precious, is it not? Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. The Bible's very clear that, that we're made in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. And even if you go to the book of Genesis chapter 9 at verse number 6, we have that that same topic of being made in the image of God, uh, that's again brought up. But in Genesis chapter 9 at verse number 6, the Bible says, uh, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Well, why is that? Why is a life for a life? Uh, well, he tells us because man, God made man in his own image. Yes, indeed, life is precious. There's no doubt about it. 
And in our day and time, people have discounted the preciousness of life with abortion and and other things. But you know something tonight? The most important thing in life is not just to live. The most important thing in life is to be obedient to God. It's not just to live. That's not the most important thing. You know, Jesus could probably have lied to spare his own life. Could he not? Was he not asked, are you the king? And he didn't lie. He didn't do it to save his life. And not only did he not do it to save his life, he left us an example. Folks, neither Jesus nor his apostles, those who came and preached after him, instructed the early Christians to lie in order to save their life. We may not understand that too well at this point. Because we don't undergo the kinds of persecutions that they underwent in the first and second centuries. Many of them gave their very life because they were Christians. Jesus never instructed them to lie in order to save their life. Instead, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, Jesus said this. He said, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He could very easily have said, but when they do that, if you'll just tell a little fib, they'll let you off the hook. Everything will be well. But he didn't. What about Revelation chapter 2 at verse number 10? In talking to John, he tells him, and he in turn wrote it, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Be faithful unto death. Some people misread that. Some people read that and and they say, be faithful until death. Well, should we be faithful until death? You know, as long as we live, we're to be faithful? Yes. But that's not the point that Jesus is telling John. He says, you're going to have a hard time. The devil, through his workers in the world, they're going to persecute you. And just as he had said back in the book of Matthew that we just noted, Matthew chapter 24, some of them were going to die. Some of them were going to be put to death. Some of them were going to be burned alive. Some of them were going to be torn apart by wild animals. Some of them were going to die in different ways by beheadings and crucifixions and all these other things. But he said, even if it cost you your life, you stay faithful. No wonder then in Revelation chapter 12 at verse number 11, we find that that some had overcome. The Bible says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. They won the battle even though they lost their life. 
They won the battle over Satan, even though they lost their life by being faithful to Christ. And so tonight, as we think about it, to say that her lie was okay because life is precious goes against so much other that we read in the New Testament. Well, somebody says, maybe, maybe it's not the case that, that her lie was okay, but maybe her lie was not okay, but was the lesser of two evils. It, it, it wasn't right for her to do it, but it was just the lesser of two. What do you mean by that? Well, she had a, had a pretty clear-cut choice, did she not? When the men from the king came and said, give us the spies, she could have turned the spies over to the king. And what was going to happen to them? Well, they're going to be put to death. They're going to be executed for being spies. And so she knew that if she turned them over, that's what was going to happen. But she also knew if she lied, then she would save their lives. And so... Maybe, somebody says, maybe she just decided that, that for her to tell a lie was, was much better than for the king to, to murder these spies that had come in. Well, I would suggest to you tonight, that's not a good argument either. Uh, turn to the book of Romans chapter 3 at verse number 8. In Romans chapter 3 at verse 8, the Bible says, And why not do evil that good may come? Now, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Why not do evil that good may come? Okay? Uh, for the sake of time tonight, look at the way that Paul continued writing there. As some people slanderously charge us with saying. Paul did not teach that it was right to do wrong in order that good may come. And he said, anybody that said that about him was slandering him and slandering the New Testament writers and slandering the Christians. But he wasn't finished with that. He went on in verse number 8 and said, their condemnation is just. Don't accuse Paul of doing evil that good may come. Don't accuse Paul of saying that it's okay for you to do evil, that good may come. To do that is to slander Paul, and anyone who said that was living under the condemnation of God. We mentioned on Wednesday night, we're studying gambling on Wednesday night over the past two Wednesday nights, and, and some will often argue in regard to gambling, the lottery, and those kind of things. You know, if we could just get a lottery and we could get all of that money that comes in from the lottery, then we could help so many students to be educated. You know what that is? That's arguing that let's do evil that good may come. Which Paul said, don't do that. It's not right. And so going back to Rahab then, for someone to say that, well, maybe, maybe she reasoned that it wasn't okay, but it was really the lesser of two evils. If I accept that, then, then I justify lying, which God condemns. So I can't, I can't accept that one either. Somebody says, well, maybe those two, but 
her lie was not okay, but she just didn't know any better. She didn't know any better. Well, she was a Canaanite, was she not? The Bible is very clear, explicit in telling us that. She's a Canaanite. And, and, and the Canaanites, they were very wicked people, were they not? Well, look at a couple of passages in your Bible. Leviticus chapter 18 at verse number 30. He said, so keep my charge never to practice any of those abominable customs that were practiced before you and never make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. When the children of Israel inherited the promised land, including Jericho, where Rahab lived, God said, don't practice any of the abominable customs that they practiced. When you do that, you make yourself unclean. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 at verse number 19. Moses wrote and said, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of these nations. He called them abominable customs, and he also now has called them abominable practices of those nations. Well, what did those abominable customs and those abominable practices get the Canaanites? Well, that's found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 25. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. Because they did all of these ungodly things, God said, they have to go. He said the land uses some very explicit language. Vomited them out. You know, even if the people did not know that all of their abominable customs and all of their abominable practices were sinful... It was still wrong. All of them were still wrong. And they were so wrong that it brought the wrath of God upon them. And so tonight, we can't justify Rahab saying that her lie was okay, but she just didn't know any better. You know, there, if that was the case, then, then we'd be better off never to preach the gospel to anybody. We'd be better off never to open up the Bible to know what God wants. Because if ignorance justified us, then I'd want to be as ignorant as anybody. It just doesn't work that way. But then there's another thing, and it may simply be this. Her lie was not okay, but that's not the issue. That's not really the main thing. Her lie was not okay, but that's, that's neither here nor there. May I remind you tonight that in addition to being a liar, the Bible very clearly tells us of the moral character of this woman. The Bible says 
that she is Rahab the prostitute. Right? Now, some of you may have a translation with a note that says the word prostitute, or if you're reading from the King James harlot, if, if you see a note, some say that this word could simply be translated as an innkeeper. She was running the local Motel 6, if you will. And so she was an innkeeper. And indeed, if you stretch it out a little bit in the Old Testament, the Hebrew words, you probably can get that word innkeeper out of it. But Rahab's not just mentioned in the Old Testament. Rahab is mentioned at least three times in the New Testament. And two out of the three identify the moral character of Rahab. Now we've already noted tonight, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute... In James chapter 2 at verse 25, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. You might get by with translating the Old Testament as an innkeeper, but you can't do that with the new. You see, the word that is used here leaves us no alternative. Porne. She was some, somewhat of a pornographic kind of person. An immoral person. And so indeed, her, her life was not one that was characterized by, by goodness. You know, she was clearly an immoral woman. How many hearts do you think she had broken? How many homes do you think she had destroyed? How many families had she torn apart? How many marriages had she ruined? And all of it for the love of money. She would sell her own body because she loved money. And so this immoral woman was not above lying either. You see, God didn't save her because she was a prostitute. God didn't save her because she lied. But God chose to save her in spite of the fact that she was an immoral liar. In spite of the fact. You see, the real focus, back me up a little bit there, Larry. The real focus in regard to Rahab is not on necessarily on her lying. That's not the real focus. Just imagine tonight that I had a very expensive piece of candy, chocolate candy, that I wanted to offer you. Let you anybody like chocolate candy? Now don't come up here because I don't have any chocolate candy with me. I do have a few of the, uh, of the Werther's in my pocket. Brother Bob... Make sure that I, I have plenty of those. But suppose tonight that I offered you a very expensive chocolate candy. And, and you looked at that candy and you see that, that, that it's individually wrapped. And you can tell that, 
that, that, that wrapper has never been opened, but you happen to see the box out of which I got that piece of candy. And that box is it, sort of scuffed up a little bit and torn. Now, would you reject the candy because the box didn't look good? Would you? Probably not. I mean, especially if you know the person that's giving it to you. You wouldn't, you wouldn't reject the candy. I mean, it looks perfectly fine. It, it hasn't been opened. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not dirty. Even the box is not dirty. It's just scuffed up, marked up, torn a little bit. You know what? If you focus on the box and you reject the candy because of the box, just know that that's what you're doing with Rahab. You're not eating the box. The box doesn't make the candy either delicious or, or, or bad. It's not the box. It's what's on the inside. God never commends or condones her lying. Just as he doesn't commend or condone her prostitution. Instead, what God chooses to focus on in this case is not the lying and not the prostitution, but the faith and the obedience of this woman. Hebrews again, chapter 11, verse 31. How did that verse start? By faith. Rahab the harlot. What did she do? By faith. By faith. She didn't perish with those who were disobedient. What were the rest of the people in Jericho? They were disobedient. What part did Rahab play by faith? She became obedient to the will of God. What did she tell the spies? I know God, we know God has given you our land. And so what did she do? She complied with God's will. By faith, she did that. Now, to make that clear, go back to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 25, where she is mentioned. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. Works means she had to do something. What did she do? James identifies it. When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, which one of those verses mentions the fact that she lied? It wasn't for her lying, but it was for her faith and obedience that God rewarded her by saving her from the destruction of Jericho. When we look at Bible characters, we have to be very careful to distinguish some things. We need to distinguish between what the Bible reports and what the Bible recommends. God never recommends that we lie. 
It just reported the fact that she did. He didn't cover it up. He tells us what kind of woman she was. It reported about her, but it did not recommend that we live that way. We have to be careful when we're reading about Bible characters between what it records and what it requires. It recorded about her, but it doesn't require us to be like her in lying. That was wrong. Or to be a prostitute, prostitute ourselves out. You know, the Bible reports that Jacob had four wives, does it not? Rachel and Leah, then the two handmaidens, one of each handmaiden. But obviously it's not encouraging us today to do the same, is it? One man for one woman for a lifetime is the way our young people learn it. Brother Wayne Jackson says it this way. He said, admittedly she lied in the process of hiding the spies and that was wrong. But her faith and obedience allowed her to obtain pardon from her blemished history. It is for the former that she is commended. The latter was never sanctioned. For the faith and obedience, not the lying in the prostitution. God never says it's okay for that to take place. And so the real focus then that God is taking here is on the faith and on the obedience. As we begin bringing our lesson to a close tonight, we must always seek to perfectly be perfectly honest in all that we say or do. That's the kind of life that we are to live. Let me just briefly observe tonight that honesty does not mean that we have to tell everything that we know in order to be perfectly honest. Is God perfectly honest? Well, we noted earlier in the lesson that it's impossible for Him to lie. But you think there's some things that God knows that we don't know? See, God's omniscient. Knows everything. But He didn't choose to reveal everything to us. And that doesn't make Him dishonest and it doesn't make Him a liar. And so there may be times when we, we have to not tell everything that we know. You, you know... Let me give you an example. Parents sometimes have to be quite wise and mature in answering their children's questions, do they not? When your little four or five-year-old Johnny comes to you and says, Mommy, where do babies come from? You may need to speak in some broad terms and maybe talk about how that you'll talk about it later, maybe even years later, in these generalities. But that's not being dishonest. Not only that, but we must never be guilty of seeking to justify some sinful action on our part by falsely accusing God. You see, when we say that God caused Rahab to lie, or God told Rahab to lie is to, to accuse God of something that he didn't do. Do you remember when we read from the book of James how that God tempts no one? 
And so he didn't, he didn't do that. We don't need to blame God trying to justify some wrong action or sinful action on our part. But then last of all tonight, Rahab lived in a time that the New Testament calls the times of ignorance. In the book of Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Paul said the times of ignorance God overlooked. He's referring back to those Old Testament times, the times of ignorance God overlooks. Thing about it is, folks, even if we could prove that she was just ignorant of what she did, we couldn't say that that would justify us. Because she lived in the time, the New Te- what the New Testament calls the times of ignorance. But if you continue reading in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Paul goes on to say the times of this ignorance that God winked at or He overlooked, but now He commands all, English Standard Translation, all people everywhere. And that didn't leave anybody out, did it? That's all of us who are alive today. All people everywhere to do what? To repent. To repent. Why? Well, Paul's not finished there. He tells us, God tells us to repent because there's a judgment day coming. And we will stand before Him. And we will give account for the things that we do in this life. And folks... If we've made it a practice in our life to be a liar and tried to justify that, we did read from the book of Revelation how that all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire. And so tonight, the question, did God tell Rahab to lie? No. Can we justify ourselves because she lied? Absolutely not. And we shouldn't even begin to try that because it just won't work. It may be tonight that you've never obeyed the gospel. And you need to do that. You want to do that. Maybe you know what you need to do in order to be a Christian, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We'd love to assist you with that tonight. It may be that you want to know more. We'd love to study with you tonight to help you understand what God requires of you. It may be tonight that you've become a Christian in the past, but your life is not right with God. And you know that, and you know you need the prayers of the congregation tonight. If that is the case, and you need to respond, why don't you do it right now as we stand and sing?